Hello, and welcome to Moonwise Podcast, a space to celebrate seasons, cycles, and rites of passage. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and today I'm sharing an encore of one of my all-time favorite episodes featuring Danae Grandmother, activist, artist, and ceremonial leader, Woman Stands Shining, all about joy as strength and remembering our role as women in the sacred hoop of life. In our conversation, she talks about women's role as visionaries for the community and her powerful experience in the Moon Lodge. She reminds us that in this time of great transition as a species, we need to listen to the women because they are built to give and receive instructions from Mother Earth about how to be on the planet now. We also talk about joy as a compass for life, a woman's body as a spirit gateway, navigating the dark night of the soul, the non-linear nature of the feminine language, how the European witch hunts are connected to the suppression of indigenous peoples, and her role of being a translator of indigenous culture to the modern world. Her words feel more relevant than ever, and it truly amazes me how they take on new meaning in the four years since we first spoke. I do hope you enjoy.
Thank you for receiving that. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me. It's an honor to have you on the show today. And for our listeners, I wondered if you could mention briefly about the song you just sang and why it is that you wanted to start with that song today. (laughs) Um, Well, this is a grandmother's calling song and it's calling on um, the spirit grandmothers from the four directions. Um, So I guess that's sort of a, uh, I know there's a word for it. I'm not going to come up with it right now, but it's a humanizing way of talking about feminine energy from the four directions uh, coming in. And what what I say, uh, you know, I, I asked for a song that I could sing, that I could feel right about singing in all circumstances. Um, because there's a lot of very strong feelings and very good reasons, I would say, for those feelings. I mean, I understand why there's strong feelings about using um, prayer songs, cer- uh, songs from s- specific ceremonies from our traditions um, in public places, being recorded, all those kinds of things. And yet, um, for me, I just feel like I I need to connect um, with the spirit, with that feminine spirit, uh, and the way I know to do that, the deepest way, and also the quickest way, <laughs> is is through the song. So I asked for a song, and that was a song that was given to me, and they told me it was a grandmother calling song. And what we say is that we call the grandmothers in, and the grandmothers make it beautiful for everybody, including the grandfathers, to also arrive. And um, so I... I uh, often use that song um, for public public events, but I also use it in deep ceremony. So um, that's where that song comes from. And uh, I'll also say, because while I was singing it, I was realizing that, you know, I'm going through a little bit of a dark night of the soul again <laughs> mm. right now. And the image I had, it's funny, you know, uh, what can inform us. But I was, I was picturing um, Gandalf. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings series movies where he uh, he gets captured by Saruman and Saruman puts him on top of that lonely, dark tower. And there's one point when they show him and he just looks like he hasn't eaten or drank anything. His hair is all crazy. His eyes are downcast and he just looks really, really defeated. And then that moth comes by. I don't know if it's a moth or a butterfly, but comes by and he knows to, to grab it in his hand and he speaks a message to it. And that's the, 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 the medicine, the, the helper that goes and, and gets the Eagle people to come and rescue Gandalf. And, um, so I, I realize I kind of feel, uh, in some ways, like, uh, like I'm in that state that Gandalf was in when he's looking all disheveled and down. And yet, you know, there's this fire, that's so deep in my core that, um, gosh, it's going to make me cry. That, uh, that, that is absolutely true to spirit, absolutely true to my purpose. And, um, and it's, it, it, it's always burning. Sometimes it's like this beautiful, um, bonfire that the whole world can see. And other times it's so private, it's almost hidden even from me. And yet when that opportunity, um, to connect with spirit, happens to flutter by, you know, that, that flame, uh, t- tells me to, to grab hold of it and to, sp- and to call out to spirit through this very humble way. And so in a way I feel like singing that song here today is that it's, um, 
because I because I haven't I haven't been singing for the last week or so, which is very very unlike me. That's how I really stay connected. So, to have that, um, I guess I'll call it a habit or really ritual before I speak um, to to engage with you know the holy people in through song in that way is is very powerful. Um, so, uh, it's a great gift to me <laughs> to sing that song, um, with you here and for this purpose for, for women's nation, but also for all life. So mm. there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I very much identify with, the um, singing as a practice, um, for just connecting personally. And I know that when I went through also a recent dark night of the soul myself, I knew that I was in maybe a little bit of trouble or just having a hard time because I didn't sing for like two years. (laughs) And once I started singing again, I was like, okay, I'm like coming back up. (laughs) Um, So I'm really honored to hear your song today. And thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that, um, about, you know, where you're finding yourself personally, because I think collectively right now, especially we, the women and we, the mothers are really going through something right now. And many of us are in a state of grief, um, about our, our current political system. And I know, you know, a lot of people have known and felt these things for many years and for some hundreds of years due to genocide, but, um, many women who weren't aware of it are starting, starting to wake up, um, to the atrocities that are happening to our women and our children, um, on this, on this continent. So, uh, (laughs) So I just, it just seems appropriate in a way to be talking to you. Well, what comes up for me when you say that, uh, is that we are, I would assess, uh, in a pretty deep, deep in, deepening into this, um, transition, transition of the earth and transition of, um, our kind, our species. And, um, and what I uh, sense, and certainly what I read in a lot of materials that I uh, look at to try to get my bearings when I start feeling like, wait, wait, where are we? What are we doing? <laughs> um, is that you know, we're, we're, there's going to be some there's going to be some losses in this transition, and um, so that is part of the task, um, I think, certainly for for me and maybe for everybody to, um, like, what, what do we do with that loss? And for me, I guess what I'm noticing about myself and my process is that part of the way I deal with trauma, um, is to zoom out really far and get a really big picture of time and place and et cetera. So it's kind of like, I guess, in a way, those, those posters that are a view of the earth and there's a little tiny arrow that says you are here, you know, and it's the earth and the galaxy or something. And so I kind of do that for myself and that helps me to, to keep right mind, right heart, right body, right spirit. And, and at the same, so, so in that sense, you know, I feel like, yeah, there's going to be casualties as we go through this transition. Um, and, and it's not going to be that easy to, to be the ones here to bear witness to that. And so, you know, lately I've really been talking to the young people, like college students, um, 
and trying to give them some kind of words to hold on to as they go through that process because they don't have too much experience with going through, um, well, traumatic events. I mean, I'd say these, these recent generations have more experience than anybody, but, but still, you know, just in their life experience and how do they master that? So I'm, I'm trying to give them those words, but really for everybody, you know, to what do we do when we witness these losses, these sort of cataclysmic losses and, um, and so how do I hold myself? So, you know, one thing that I think about is when I was doing ceremonies in Europe, and actually these ceremonies um, were to address uh, the so-called witch hunts that took place there, which eventually then traveled with colonialism, both the methodologies used to suppress women, but also men and children um, during that time. Uh, were, were carried on those ships that then set sail to indigenous peoples all over the world, but also the attitudes uh, about and and the the power over mentality uh, over the feminine uh, understanding, but also women women specifically that also traveled with colonialism, and I do believe it has infiltrated even many and we might even say most indigenous cultures. And so, um, anyway, I was, uh, we were, we were addressing those issues. Uh, it was a spiritual directive I was given to, 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 there was something we could do. And when I was in, um, France, I ended up singing this Buffalo calling song, um, to put these women in a moon lodge so that they could hold that dream time space for our process over there. And that, uh, the Buffalo song, um, it was so surprising because what came back was the ancient bison of France, like the ones from the cave drawings hmm. there. Uh, they showed up, and that just never occurred to me that <laughs> that would happen. And, uh, yeah. They were so beautiful. You know, they, they said, um, they said, we, you know, from the beginning of creation, you know, the trickster has been amongst you, and we could see that you were going to be alone with the trickster, and you were so vulnerable just terribly, terribly, achingly vulnerable to be, to be there with the trickster. And so we couldn't bear it. And so we came to this earth to be with you, they said. And, um, and what we want to say to you, you know, we came here to be with you, to remind you of fearless generosity, because that's what we say about the buffalo, is that they, give, they, they know they're going to be hunted. They give themselves to us willingly to provide for us our food, our clothing, our shelter. And so um, so we say they have fearless generosity, right? And so they said, we came here to keep reminding you always of fearless generosity and to keep a soft heart. And they said, and in particular, we need you to understand how critical it is, how critical it is for the women to keep that fearless generosity and that soft heart. And they said, if you can do that, if you can keep fearless generosity and that soft heart, then you you will not lose this life. Because, uh, you know, what was being proposed was that the trickster has been here amongst us. And what is the trickster? Trickster's biggest trick. The trickster's biggest trick is to trick us out of this life. And it can't just be taken from us. We have to give it away of our own free will. And so... Um, you know, I guess my perspective is, is that the trickster just keeps presenting illusion and delusion and deception to get our minds going so that we of our own free will will give away 
this life. And um, so that was a very powerful reminder to me as a woman um, what what I need to do, where I need to be. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I think that's sort of what my dark night of the soul is about right now is just trying to understand, okay, how do I do that? Um, and so there's a lot of new terrain for the women uh, in some ways. It, it, well, as my clan grandfather says, it's so old, it's new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so you know, this was the this was the bearing of the women, I think, for many indigenous cultures. Um, and then through all this incredible upheaval, we could call it onslaught, attempted genocide, and 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 more, and et cetera. Um, you know, that has that way of the, of the women's bearing of that, of the keeper of the faith for humanity and also maintaining that fearless generosity and soft heart, um, has really been tested. And so I think we are as women in particular being called to maintain that. And that also speaks to the calling of the men because the men, um, need to, uh, recognize that it's for the it's for the good of all life and certainly for our kind to make the space to make it possible for the woman to maintain those things um and so those two tasks alone can keep us pretty busy right now if we were to really take them to heart and and pay attention and spend time there and uh i for myself personally i i make lots of space to do that and so sometimes i do have to go through periods of deep grief and um, and reconciling and and in order to to keep my to, to keep holding myself in that honorable way as as a holy earth surface walker life bringer life bearer as as woman. What came to mind when you were both singing and speaking about um, the ancient buffalo um, is just how easy it is at least for me and I think others may identify with this is how easy it is to forget and um and maybe that's part of what you're saying that that the trickster (laughs) um does for us is that whenever I I feel reconnected and you know even just listening to you I, I have some tears coming down my face because it's just a feeling of remembering just oh right this is who we are and this is what we're meant to be doing here instead of getting all caught up in just yeah the tricks I guess of forgetting forgetting that we're all here together to, to do something beautiful. And I know that you've often, I've heard you say you were born beautiful for a joyful life. And that's a concept that's so simple, but so revolutionary because it's so different from what many of us have grown up believing and what we've been taught. And I, I wondered, yeah, how you come to that understanding and, and why you share that so often with people um well i i actually heard that from an elder i went to uh dene elder came to my area i live over in northern new mexico and um so it's kind of not that usual to have uh dene medicine people um kind of publicly offering healing help and so i went and um to to receive a, a blessing and a cleansing or you know i didn't uh, I mean, there's sort of always ongoing issues, right? so, but I couldn't say I had a specific problem. 
anyway, she started working on me and she was doing different things. And all of a sudden she just stopped and she said, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> that's really funny. And then, and then she said that she said, just, you know, you have to remember that you were born, uh, beautiful for a joyful life. That's the truth. And, uh, so that's, that's where I really first heard that. And I guess I sort of, uh, uh, gave it my own words, which was to say, you were born into beauty as beauty for joyful life. And that's the truth. And, um, so yeah, when she, when she said that to me, it really, really rang like a gong through my body. I was like, yeah, just hold on to that. Don't forget that. And, um, you know, I was speaking with these, uh, college, like, no, they're high school students from San Jose recently. There was 36, I think, of them, and we were in this uh, Mexican restaurant here in Albuquerque. And and I, uh, my friend told me that they were going to be there, and I let them know. And so they invited me to come eat, and they wanted me to speak a few words. So, <laughs> so you know, I've been saying this to young people for a while, um, and I've been saying it to a lot of people for a while. But this whole new level of understanding came this last time when I when I mentioned those words. You know, you were born into beauty as beauty for joyful life. And I told them, you know, your your joy matters. Your joy is is so important. It's 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 the greatest strength that you have is to be in your joy. And so don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't don't let anybody make you feel like it's negligible. It's it's absolutely essential. It's important. And and, and in fact, uh, your joy is your compass. And um, and I was saying, you know, the reason that I say that to you is because there's no greater joy than stepping fully into the purpose for which you came here for. You know, nobody nobody shows up here on this Mother Earth by accident. That's uh, That takes some doing, is my understanding, um, at all, to, to arrive here. But certainly not at this time. Um, and so I like to assure them and myself, you know, that, you know, you came here for a purpose. You, you, you know, this is not the easiest time to, to be here. But, you know, you were like pulling on uh, creator's shirt sleeves saying, put me in, coach, put me in. I can do it. I know I can do it, you know. And so some part of your spirit really could see, you know, how you could serve at this time. And so, you know, I, I, I trust that. I trust that for the young people. I trust that for each one of us. I trust that for myself. Um, occasionally, I have to remind myself, but, but mostly, I, I live. I'm living in a place of trust of that. And and there and I feel like in the last I don't know five years or so, I've definitely, uh, without a doubt, come step full on in the in the full flow of my purpose for being here. And there just is no greater joy. That doesn't mean that I don't go through. Um, deep healing processes and et cetera. But, but nevertheless, you know, it's, it's just an incredible thing. So, so when I say, you know, your joy is your compass, when we are experiencing joy, I believe that means it's this giant clue that's saying, Hey, you're, you're really close to what you're here for. You're really close to what your purpose is. Pay attention to what, what's giving you joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, these young people were just crying sitting there. <laughs> And, and I was thinking about it later, and, and a couple of them said to me, you know, no one's ever, ever said that to me before. And, um, and, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, now why in the world would we not say that joy matters to our children? And I realized that probably the reason is because in this modern world 
paradigm, the power over paradigm, the capitalist paradigm, the, uh, well, anyway, lots of adjectives, <laughs> lots of ways of describing it. But in that paradigm, um, you know, I think we have resigned ourselves to the fact that joy is probably not going to happen <laughs> mm-hmm. or on a very limited basis, right? Because, you know, it demands so much, it demands so much of us, uh, to, to be, cause capitalism, um, really an essential part of capitalism, I think at this point, or certainly the way it's being enacted today, um, re- requires us t- to step more and more into separation. It is not conducive to cooperation or collaboration uh, because of the competitive factor and also because of the fact that all of the goodies, all of the fruits of the labor don't get spread out amongst anybody. They all go to the top of the pyramid, Mm -hmm. which means that there's less and less and less, seemingly. I mean, I'm sitting here in my front yard with about five fruit trees in front of me and they're getting ready to shower fruit down on me. So... Mm -hmm. That is an illusion about capitalism, uh, that, the, that it's scarce. But it feels that way, right? The illusion is very thick. And so that, um, that separation piece is so, so deep. But um, so, so in that place, you know, we say you're going to have to sacrifice relationship probably. You're going to have to sacrifice um, creativity in many instances. People feel that way. Certainly people who are being put through school systems and trying to figure out how they're going to plug into this machine. Um, and, and your, uh, you know, so the possibilities for you to, to really have joy are going to be pretty limited. So your own joy is limited. Um, you're going to have to compromise yourself deeply, like so deep, (laughs) And you're also going to have to betray the Mother Earth um, in order to have food, clothing, and shelter. So, you know, let's just don't even talk about joy. How about because the truth is, beautiful son, beautiful daughter, um, it's a long shot for you. And I realize that's why we don't say that to our young people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why we don't say that to our young people. And that's criminal. It's criminal to me when I think about it. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm pretty resolute in in wanting to shout from the rooftops to young people, you know, that's that is not right. And I tell them, you know, you came here to change this. You came here to change it all. So, you know, here I am talking to college-bound seniors or whoever, right? And I'm telling them. You know, so if you came here to change it, we can all see that this has to change our relationship to everything. Our species relationship to everything has to change. Everything else is in relationship and cruising along. As, as long as we stay out of it, it does fine. But it's the second we step in with our misunderstanding of who we are, where we are, and how it is, um, is detrimental but you came here to change it. So that probably means that all of these systems that are running all around you, they probably don't have the tools that you're going to need to change it up. Hmm. You know, so I tell them, um, 
you know, these, the things you're looking for and what you came here to do, you might not find it in school. And they're like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, well, you know, you kind of have to move a little bit slow and gentle because, you know, that's all they've been given for reality. Right. So I, I feel like as an indigenous person, I at least have this whole other world that doesn't have anything to do with these systems that it's available to me, although they are being encroached upon greatly by social media and institutions, academic, you know, there's all, all kinds of questions coming up there, but, but really uh, they're kind of outside of those systems, but, but, but many people don't have that. This is the only system they've ever been presented with. So um, it's really important for me to do that. And, and as you know, you're talking about women and their empowerment, you know, the same applies for women <laughs> because our perspective, our way of uh, creating systems, our way of creating relationships, all of that has been silenced for so long. Um, as being superfluous because, you know, efficiency, I love to talk about efficiency, mm-hmm. talk to magpies about efficiency and watching them. And, and, you know, for magpies, efficiency involves a lot of talking. I just had a magpie land in front of me and just really chew me out a minute ago. I'm not sure what that was about, but, or maybe it was thanking me. It's kind of hard to tell with magpie voices, but, you know, I've watched magpies, I've watched crows and they, they, they have to play a lot. And they have to, uh, they commune a lot. Like you see little couples of crows like rubbing beaks and stuff in the morning. And, and you know, these guys are living outdoors uh, 365 days a year, come what may, in the weather, the heat. Right now we're having a big heat wave over here. It's super dry. And they're thriving, right? And so I just have to believe that part of their efficiency has to do with play, community, um, humor. They have huge humor. And so, you know, this idea of efficiency being moving from point A to point B, uh, going in a straight line as fast as possible, there is just nothing in this construct that does that. Hmm. Nothing except, except, um, us. And so all the other forms of efficiency and beauty, um, are actually imperative for, for for thriving here it's not it's not extra it's not hobby it's not superfluous it's not wasting time it's it's a part of the structure of this place and so in that same way you know i say to women's nation you know you're the way you think is needed your logic is needed it's not linear but it's needed your language that is not linear is needed your emotional content is desperately needed um, so that's where I kind of, kind of bring this all the way back around to, you were born into beauty as beauty for joyful life. Beauty involves joy and beauty involves beauty. Beauty involves delight. Um, one other thing I, I, I often say about beauty is that, you know, I feel like part of the reason that Western scientists missed so much of the incredible deep knowledge that indigenous cultures held is because indigenous people express that knowledge in beautiful ways, mm. in beauty. Um, they don't write big dissertations and thesis. They <laughs> they weave things. They make pottery. They 
um, and all of it is describing this deep knowledge. And so because it was so beautiful, Western science uh, missed it entirely because it has been, for some reason, beauty has been written out of their script. And yet it's such an inherent part of where we are and who we are. Hmm. And as you talk about the women's nation and beauty, I'm so curious to hear about your thoughts on what it is that women uniquely bring to this, you know, I guess this mission of remembering and reconnecting. Um, I've heard you talk about the feminine design and, um, how the embodied divine feminine shows up in women almost like innately, but that we just need to remember it. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You probably know that's one of my favorite subjects in the world, although I'm enjoying talking about uh, the masculine role as much these days. But Mm. um, so... Okay, so to talk about that, uh, I think I have to talk about indigenous people a little bit first. And that is to say, you know, one of my sort of taglines, I guess, at this point is is saying, you know, if sustainability is the highest and most sought-after technology on the planet, um, who should we be talking to? And my answer to that would be, we should be talking to those peoples who've known how to live in one place over an extended period of time, say a thousand years, 2000 years, 3000 years or more, you know, uh, in relative health, harmony and happiness. And, um, so we call these people indigenous, which means they are of place. And so, you know, I've, I've lived in my little town here, uh, for about 32 years. And by modern day standards, that's a super long time. I'm like indigenous to my town now, just for having lived here for this long. And I noticed that my rhythms and my relationships are are different than what many people experience. For instance, I get to experience uh, reconciliation because I can have a knockdown, drag out fight with a neighbor over something and feel like I never want to engage with them again. And then all of a sudden, five, six, seven years later, there we are being soccer moms together (laughs) with our kids or working on a school project together with our kids. And, um, Hey, that's the last red cherry and you can't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, so, so, so then, you know, we have to reinvent our relationship with this difficult history, right? And then we might see each other again in another 10 years, and we're both, like, wholeheartedly all about, you know, making sure a super Walmart doesn't move to town or whatever like that. And so now we're, like, really deeply respectful of each other, and we've changed a lot since that first knockdown drag-out fight. We get to witness that in each other. Um, And so... Anyway, you get the idea. So things, things, uh, our relationships evolve in deeper ways. And I just really feel like people who live uh, their lives in such a way where they're moving every two, three, four years, like they never get to experience that, right? So, I mean, that, that must create a certain amount of cynicism about relationship, I think. So that's just like a tiny example, right? 
But let's say you're a person who's lived in a place for 3,000 years, um, your people, and all all the trial and error, collective knowledge, spiritual insight, um, that comes from being in a place uh, for that long gets passed down to you. And so you get to carry a lot of that, that knowing. Um, you know, how do you have a relationship with place like that? Well, you, you have it. It's not, it's not, it's not, you don't have that relationship of sustainability. I mean, that's a very, very um, sterile clinical kind of word to describe that relationship, honestly. But but we can use it, sustainability. But you get to have that relationship by by having a two-way, at least a two-way relationship, if we want to call one party the natural world and the other party humanity, which is kind of a modern worldview of things. But mm-hmm. let's say that we're gonna we're gonna look at it like that. And um, and so you you have that by having a conversation. It's a dialogue, it's a it's a, and it's also a, um, um, oh gosh, my words are not coming super fast and easy today, but it's a, it's a mutually beneficial, um, relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the reason that we have those relationships as indigenous people with a place is because of our ceremonies. And so th- it's through the ceremonies, um, that we get to have these deep conversations and the place actually informs us like literally informs us about what's needed next or what the possibilities are for joy and beauty too. So practical, I mean, I, I don't want to say that joy and beauty aren't practical. I think they're absolutely practical. Um, but, you know, so, so we get informed about how to do this, how to be where we are. And we also get informed about possibilities of how to make it um, an even more beautiful or maybe even exciting relationship. And so, so it's an ongoing process and it's this, it's a, it's a, it is, it's a mad love affair. And, and so I'm thinking if that's really what sustainability requires, then we need to, uh, really treasure and value all of those places where we get to have access to this deep dialogue and conversation with, with the natural world. And so one thing that I have come to know in my own prayer life is, you know, when I was a little younger and now I'm beyond that time, but to be put into the moon lodge, to be, to be set aside, to have all the women who were bleeding be set aside into their own place of prayer um, was one of the most awakening, profound places that, I've, that I have yet to experience. And part of me still grieves and mourns that, I'm not, that I can't go there anymore. I, I trust that, there, that I am now in a place that's equally as profound and informing and beautiful, but in some ways I, it's not as clear to me sometimes. Mm. Um, but anyway, so when I used to sit in the, in the moon lodge in prayer, and sometimes I would just do this on my own, after I learned how to do it with other women. Um, but it's, it's this profound exchange that takes place. We say that we, at that time, we're dismantling the holy altar of life from within our, you know, our own body. We were given that gift. And so that material is so holy, it's so sacred, and that time is, 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 is hugely sacred, but it's also full of possibility. Because we say that at that time, that gateway between heaven and earth opens. So biologically, they call that the cervix, right? 
but but it's a spirit gateway as well. And so um, so one, when we're spilling blood, when that gateway is open, um, we have the there's an ease with being able to receive vision and to also hear the voice of this Mother Earth, to hear this voice of life, to hear this voice of the natural world um, in a very in a way that we can express in a way that we can understand for ourselves, but also express to our community. And so um, at that time, we have the, the possibility by giving this sacred material to the Mother Earth as offering on behalf of our life as human beings, we also are drawing in through that gateway. We're drawing from the Mother Earth, and, um, and she has the ability to give us profound nourishment body, mind, heart, and spirit nourishment, but also nurturing. And she, but, but she also, and this is what's so amazing, she has this incredible ability to give us instruction, instruction for how to be here now. Mm. And, and so, you know, that role of the woman to be able to, just for her, her biology gives her a spiritual um, capacity and so she's, she's literally made for it. And so she can receive that instruction from the Mother Earth on behalf of her own life, on behalf of the women who are in the Moon Lodge with her, maybe on behalf of the women in her community, or maybe the whole community, or maybe the whole world, you know. And, and so I got opened up to that possibility and really experienced it over and over and over again and began to be able to walk it out of that dreamy, uh, you know, laying in the dirt dreaming place <laughs> in the moon lodge and walk it out into the world. Um, and, and I became somewhat practiced at that. Uh, so for me, that's like a normal way of life now. Um, and, and, and I feel like I get called upon a lot because that is feeling like a normal way of life for me but it's not normal to modern world. So somehow I'm standing out, but I really believe that, that all women have this capacity. I've put women of every race in Moon Lodge and the same thing happens to them every single time. And, the, and they never, it, it, it's, it feels subtle at the time while you're in the Moon Lodge, but when you come out and you re-enter modern world and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, I was in some other dimension, some other place. Mm -hmm. And I feel myself and I know myself and I know some things that I need to express uh, to the world. Um, so, so that to me uh, is a very deep indicator of who the women's side of our species are. Um, that's not to say that, that men can't also be dreamers or visioners or whatever, but I just feel like the women, um, for whatever reason, are kind of called upon to be that conduit. And oddly, in so many, uh, with so many indigenous peoples, because I meet with indigenous peoples around the world, and I go to many indigenous peoples' gatherings, the men are given the voice, over and over and over and over. And I'm like, uh, well, and sometimes they're given the voice uh, to be the spokesperson for the women dreaming, but pretty dang rare in my experience. So, so even in indigenous culture, that voice is, is not always present. Um, even though they might have many rituals around this time for the women or, 
you know, uh, you would think that it would be a little bit more present. But in many ways, that voice has been shut out. So of all times on the planet, when we could use a little direct instruction from the Mother Earth about how to be here now, I would say we're definitely in need of that right now. Um, and so for the women to remember themselves to that practice is is such a powerful um, possibility that I feel is just for the most part laying dormant. There are a lot of young women that I meet who are recognizing that their moon is holy and that's where, you know, the moon cups and all of these kinds of devices for being able to offer to the Mother Earth. I don't always hear from them that they're taking the time to to really present themselves to the Mother Earth and say, Mama, you know, what would you say to me? I'm here to receive your instruction mm-hmm. on behalf of life, on behalf of the people, on behalf of my kind to uphold the honor of being human being. So, uh, so we're, so there is a whole movement moving in that direction. I'm not sure that they're asking, but I would highly recommend that. So then for myself as a woman who's moved on in from that time, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I've been going through menopause for some years and it's so funny to me cause I'll say that and anybody that's got a medical background will say, well, when did you have your last moon? And I don't know how long it's been, like six or seven years. I'm like, oh, you're past menopause. And I'm like, so maybe it's just a matter of terminology. But boy, do I not feel like I'm past it. I'm still, like, my body is still working this out. It's a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, but anyway, that process is part of my gift to the world. You know, I, I feel like I'm getting called to speak at this time of my life more than at any other time. And, and I, and it was happening when I was still getting my moon time too. Um, I would always get like, my moon would come just when I'm supposed to go speak to 500 people. And that's like the last time you really want to like be projecting and putting it out there and, you know, and yet it was the perfect time. Um, so how I spoke and I'm sure what I said uh, was coming from this whole different place that normally is definitely kept out of the public, right? We're supposed to hide who we are, hide all evidence that this incredible, miraculous thing is happening in our body and pretend like nothing is going on. I mean, that's that's the rule in modern world for women on moon time, right? Mm-hmm. So no, we have not heard from this, from this place. And I really felt, you know, after this happened a half dozen times or so, I'm like, gosh, I think this might be on purpose. <laughs> and I and I thought to myself, you know, I, I really feel like spirit is saying, you know, the world needs to hear from the feminine, from this very deep, vulnerable place. And and I feel like the same is true for me going through the labor of this elder womanhood. Uh, peace. So I feel like my menopause, they told me, you know, you're in labor again. And this time you're going to birth yourself as the fruitful woman. And so I guess the world needs to hear from that place too, because boy, oh boy, I get called on all the time, including, you know, in this beautiful um, series that you're doing. Um, so and that was plenty, but there's, there's so much to say about it. But, uh, but that's a, a, a definitely a good starting place to think about what, how our role is different. Well, actually, I'm going to say one more piece, mm-hmm. and that is that I really worry about modern world right now in this place of gender. And what I'm hearing from modern world a lot these days is that there's no such thing as gender. 
that gender is a cultural construct. It's like a figment of our imagination or something. And I'm like, oh boy, hmm, be careful there. And and I do feel like the reason that that people are saying that is because of the power dynamics associated with gender and all of the abuse that has gone along with it. Um, but I also feel like because we don't have very much in the way of reconciliation tools, you know, it's just too much to deal with. And so I guess the example I would give is that people will also come up to me and say, I can't wait until we're all just light brown. They're talking about light brown skin. Mm. And what they mean is I can't believe, I, I can't wait until all our races are just so mixed that there really is no distinct races anymore. And, and, and I know why they're saying that. They're saying that because they're sick of the war. They're sick of the conflict. They're sick of, you know, uh, all the difficulties. And, 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 I, and I'm just stunned when people say something like that to me. I'm like, really? You don't want distinct races anymore? Um, and, and, and I've just, I, 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 well, as an indigenous person of somewhat pure blood of a certain race, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty shocked when I hear that. And, uh, and I think, no, the answer is not to do away with diversity. That's not the answer. <laughs> Hmm. You know, all, even even Western science is telling us that diversity is the key to life. But how we relate to someone that's different is is definitely a part of the process here. Um, and I do think that indigenous peoples who have distinct cultures that are really have been uh, growing up for thousands of years as neighbors and yet not becoming each other, like having distinct languages, distinct practices. Um, you know, can give us some clues about how to get along in, in diversity. But um, but with the gender, I just feel like if we make bust this move into saying there really is no such thing, we're going to miss out. Well, I, I actually don't think it can work at all because we're going to miss out on who we really are. And I believe that if we could express to people, modern modern world people, what the possibilities are for fully claiming and embodying and being empowered by your gender um, in a way that I was just speaking of, like, say, for the women on their moon time, whoever can bleed. I mean, that's a very distinct group. That's not, not a cultural construct. Um, uh, I think we may change our mind about doing away with gender. Hmm. Yeah, and perhaps even expand what our current very rigid definition of what a woman is, maybe expanding that to make room for more expressions of being a woman. And it sounds like in modern times, we are missing out on a lot of the gifts and the beauty of what women can offer to the community. So it's like right now we're like looking through a tiny little window, but there's like a whole sky of possibilities of expressing that. So yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's been very, very, very restricted. And, and again, lots of illusions, delusions, and deceptions involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to trick humanity out of life, one of the primary things you're going to have to do is you're going to have to take the women down. Mm-hmm. 
because mama bear doesn't give up life very easy. So true. I wanted to touch on something briefly that I've heard you talk about um, in regard to women who are on their moon. And and before I say that, I want to also just say I've had a lot of requests from my listeners to get more information and conversation about that menopause phase of a woman's life. So I just want to tell all those women listening, I'm definitely looking into that. And, you know, maybe one day we can have Woman Stand Shining come back and, and talk about her experience there. But um, but that will definitely happen because I, I see such such a need and such a longing um, from women in our culture to really dive into more understanding around that phase. Um, but um, but in regard to to the women on their moon um, time, I have heard you talk a little bit about. Um, the way that sometimes women will, you know, drink caffeine or they'll eat chocolate or basically they'll, they'll kind of look towards pushing through or taking stimulants to kind of like get out of that dreamy, restful state, which I'm hearing you say is actually an incredibly sacred place to be. And I think, you know, given our, our modern life, and we've talked about this in past shows that I've done here that, you know, we're just, oh, well, we still have to get up and go to work and perform and check our email and do all this stuff. Um, I'm just thinking about, you know, what your advice might be around how do we settle into that energy and just actually work with it instead of being like, okay, shoot, I'm, I'm too like calm and restful or I, you know, for me personally, I want to just sit on the earth. Like I just want to sit on the earth and do nothing else. But of course my culture is like, you're not allowed to just sit on the earth and do nothing else. Like you have things to do, you have money to make, like what's happening. (laughs) So yeah, I just wondering what your thoughts about that are. Well, um, listening to you describe that just now, I'm like, well, I think we're all going to be presented with (laughs) some big, big choices about whether we stay with business as usual or whether we really respond to, I mean, eventually we're going to have to respond. The question is, are we going to wait until it's, there's no other option, meaning these earth changes become so big that nobody's getting up and going to the office every day. Mm. Um, Or are we going to take that action before we come to that place? And, um, so yeah, there's, there's that, (laughs) but, um, uh, but I, you know, one of the stories I tell is that I, is I applied for a job after I had started going into the moon lodge and I, and in my job interview, I, I said, you know, I would like you to understand that if I come to work for you, that I will be taking four days out of the month out of the office away um, to stay with my Moon Lodge prayer. And you won't regret it. I promise you. <laughs> mm. And um, and I got hired. And I know I told that story at one time, and to be honest, I don't know if this person was already doing it or whether they heard that and they decided, but I know there's some fairly large uh, business of some kind, like corporate thing, I think, in England, and I think it's out of Brighton, where that's their company policy now. 
So um, there's that <clears throat> as well. Uh, and, and I guess as for taking stimulants to get yourself out of that dreamy state, well... Well, right. I mean, it's a, it, we we are at that fork in the road. It's a it's a kind of commitment. It's like, well, do do can I be a part of allowing the earth to speak to me on a regular basis? Or you know, I mean, I, I don't really know on one level, and I know this isn't very practical in some ways, but it's actually ultimately the most practical. <laughs> Um, I don't really know what could be more important at this point than listening to the earth. If you have an ability to listen to the earth and receive her instruction, I just can't imagine what could be more important than that Mm. in the state that we're in at this moment. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think as I, so one thing that I tell women, I try to remember to tell them (laughs) before I put them in a moon lodge, as I say, I want you to know, I know this sounds like really really groovy and everything, but you really need to know this is going to rock your world and this is going to change your life. If you go into this moon lodge, your moon lodge, your moon will never allow you to do what you did with it before. It just won't allow it. Once you acknowledge it in ceremony, she's like, okay, now I know that, you know, then no, we're not, we're not just going to go with the program ever again. No. And, um, and that's the God's honest truth. And, and it's not, got nothing to do with me putting you in there. It's just, just the way it is. It's like our bodies are so ready and made to do it that that's how it is. And so I think for me, that's what happens as much as it being a somewhat conscious choice. There was this relentless urging from my own <clears throat> spirit and body to make room for it. So, so I guess as I think back on it, by acknowledging that place in my world, uh, then my whole world began to shift and change and move around it so that my work began to change. How I worked began to change. And as I was able to bring that into a, you know, a, a much higher priority, if not the highest priority, um, then the way I began to work changed. And so automatically it started kicking me out of the system. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a gradual process, but it, but it did happen. Um, I mean, and now my world is like, it, yeah, it's not in the box in any way at all right now, happily. Um, but sometimes it's, it's a little stressful, but, but mostly happily. Um, so I, when, and my moon did that for me. My moon is just so smart. She's so, she's like the wisest girl ever. And she takes care of me and she leads me. And um, she saved me from terrible horrors um, a few times. And uh, so, yeah, there, this relationship and this trust about her and, and where she's, wh- what she's insisting on has grown over, grew over the last years of my moon time. I'd say it was about 12 years or so. And, um, yeah, really beautiful. But, but, as, but specifically about things to eat, you know, I know women say that moon time and chocolate go together. But I will say that, you know, I experienced this incredibly deep moon lodge. It was my first full on in full ceremony setting moon lodge with these women. And we were brought all of our meals and nobody was allowed to leave that space until they showed no signs of blood for 24 hours.
hours. So it was kind of a strict, strictly held moon lodge. And, um, anyway, in that one, we just went so deep. We synchronized in the most incredible way in a way I've never experienced with women. I mean, it only makes sense, right? Like, why is it that when we all work in the same place that we all start mooning at the same time, you know? So clearly there's a biological imperative for us to be together and, well, I would say dream and vision together for the people at that time. And so anyway, we started moving in this incredible synchronicity, like sleeping at the same time, waking at the same time. At one time we all got sick to our stomach at the same time, which this very wise uh, spiritual leader heard, got, you know, was told about. And, um, and so therefore, uh, uh, called everybody to go in the sweat. So, so yeah, we, we were in this incredibly deep synchronicity and then there was this cooler in, in the midst of us and we realized that we had never opened it. And so we were asking, well, whose cooler is this? Is it yours? Is it yours? No, it's not mine. And, and it turned out it didn't belong to any of us. So we said, wow, well, they must have left it here for us. So we haven't ever looked in it. So we looked in it, and it was filled with chocolate and sodas. And so some of the women decided that they were going to have some, and some of us didn't. But it was so clear. The, the, the moment we began to ingest that sugar, all the synchronicity stopped, just mm. stopped. And I thought, wow, that explains so much of the world in general. <laughs> <laughs> that sugar is a very disruptive thing. Uh, so anyway, sorry, bad news, ladies. Chocolate in one time, I'm not so sure. Not so sure. I, I'm so grateful for that, for that perspective and that information because I think that there's just so much that we can be doing to supporting ourselves in service to our communities that we just haven't been taught, um, many of us. Um, and yet, yeah, people like you and um, cultures that still have that connection um, hold a lot. I think we only have a few minutes left, and I wanted to know um, if there's anything that is in your mind, in your heart that you'd like to share um, before we conclude today? A couple things. Uh, you know, I I was having lunch with a really beautiful poet friend of mine from the Bay Area, and she was describing how she was dreaming of doing this course out here at Ghost Ranch in New Mexico, and she kept apologizing. Oh, that probably sounds really random or, oh, that probably sounds really unclear or, you know, I just kept noticing she was apologizing. And so when she finally finished, I was telling her, well, first of all, I just want to tell you that your process does not sound uh, random or scattered or anything. It's just what I'm hearing in your process is it's inclusive of so many things that many people don't include when they're thinking about developing a course. And to me, that's a feminine way of putting things together. And, and so I, I keep my ear out for it. And I really like to reflect back to women, like, no, that, that makes total sense to me. And I don't, I just, for my sake, I don't feel like you need to apologize for that process. And so one thing I've been saying to Men's Nation <laughs> is, as I've been saying, you know, uh, so coming out of Moon Lodge, I'll always ask the women, is there anything that you want to say to me 
just one-on-one or to the, to the women or to the whole community, you know, cause often people will go into Moon Lodge when, when I'm running Sweat Lodge for everybody else. And, um, and, and they, they're always hesitant, you know, and, and usually they'll say something like, well, this doesn't sound like anything, but it just seems so urgent and important at the time. And usually the phrase of what they say is, is sort of simple and in some ways obvious. Um, like you were saying, it's just, it's just about clicking that memory. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. And so I feel like when women come out of their moon time and they, and they'll have a phrase like that, but they're so hesitant to say it. And I'm always so grateful when they're willing to go ahead and say it out loud. Um, but that's a practice that we're getting used to. And that was part of why the witch hunts, I think, had to be addressed and healing work had to be done was because that time definitely um, seared into our cellular memory, you know, what can happen if you speak. (laughs) So there's many things that are working against that voice. And yet um, that voice is so, so clear and powerful when it, when we can finally allow it. And so what I've been saying to men's nation is, is that, you know, when the women come out of these, as the women are remembering more and more about who we are and what our role is. And as we enact it, you know, what I notice is that when they come out of these things, you know, what their speech isn't always linear and they're also battling, uh, a fear because they, they don't have much practice at it. And they're overcoming a lot of historical trauma to speak it. So it doesn't always come out linear for those reasons, but it, but it's not really a linear process any either. So, you know, it does it, they rarely come out with, you know, PowerPoints and bulleted <laughs> points or, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't come out that way. And I say, so you got to recognize that that is a masculine form language that we have all been indoctrinated into. So I'm asking you to, to, to recognize that. And so when the women speak, you know, um, let, let us have our speech. We need to have our speech again. And I say to them, you know, I come from a people whose children by law could be kidnapped by government officials or missionaries and taken to their schools. And when they were in those schools, they were not allowed to speak their first language, our, our indigenous languages. I mean, they were literally had bars of soap in their mouth. They were, they were beaten. They were, you know, I mean, it was, they just were not allowed. And so if these languages contain all of that incredible science of how to be here, all that thousands of years of knowledge, think of everything that we have lost by those languages being suppressed and beaten out of us. We've lost so much And so I know what that is. And what I want to say to the world right now is we need the feminine language again. It's the same thing. All the wisdom, all the understanding, all the instruction from the Mother Earth, all the faith-keeping language, all the relational language um, that we have been missing, we need it again. And so... I tell them, don't make us speak like you. (laughs) Don't insist that we use your language. Let us have our language and you come our way. Come our way 
and listen. And when you don't get it and you don't understand it first time around, rather than just roll your eyes and say, okay, anyways, we're just going to move right along here. Like rather than do that, like sometimes men ask me, what can I do to support the women? And this is one of the things I tell them they can do. I say, you know, instead say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Could you please say that again? Mm. That's a revolutionary act for this life, I think. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about the women's speech. And I feel like I have a gift of being able to speak the women's speech in a linear way, <laughs> if need be. Mm. Um, so, so I can do that, but not everybody can do that, and not everybody should do that. Sometimes I feel like I'm translating some part of indigenous culture to modern world, and I have an ability to do that. But not everybody can do that, and not everybody should do that. Mm. So uh, there's, a, there's a power there. Thank you so much, Woman Stand Shining, for telling these stories, sharing your life experience, and thank you also to the grandmothers and to Mother Earth for making all of this possible. I know that um, the women listening and maybe some men also will be really grateful to, um, to have experienced this. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, my honor and my pleasure. And um, whew, we, uh, we come from a long, a long line of travel, and we may have a long line of travel ahead, but we are fully equipped. And in fact, we are born into beauty as beauty for joyful life. So thank you so much, Trote. Thank you for listening to the show. You can hear more episodes on moonwise.co or subscribe to the Moonwise podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoyed the episode, leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts and get a shout out on the show. Reviews help others find the podcast and I read each and every one. Thank you so much for your support. Our theme music is Butterflies March from Sophie Cooper's album, Rewilding. See you next time.